welcome to Heineken Rugby Weekly, the new podcast from The 42. Each week we'll bring you behind the lines with expert analysis, tactical insights and engaging conversation around the international and club game. Our expert an- analysts will ask the hard questions and answer any you might have every Thursday. We'll also have a feature interview with some of the biggest names and most interesting characters in the game. I'm joined, as we will be each week, by former Leinster and Connacht out half, Andy Dunn. Andy, how's things? All well, thanks. Good. And we're also joined by the 42's Murray Kinsella, who's just back from his own player management welfare. He's <laughs> <laughs> He's been uh, sunning himself in Italy over the last week. Yeah, very well refreshed, although I'm just come back from injury as well, so uh, it's not all been easy. We'll manage your minutes carefully. <laughs> Anyway, we'll crack on because we've got a packed show. Um, If you want to get more from the game, join Heineken Rugby Club, whose members enjoy exclusive rewards like match tickets and more. Visit heinekenrugbyclub.com. Over 18s only. Enjoy Heineken responsibly. Visit drinkaware.ie. Right, just to to quickly run through how we're going to work things each week because um, it's going to be fairly hard-hitting, intense, um, and hopefully (laughs) we can can give you some engaging content over the course of the next hour or so. We're going to break it down into kind of three main topics each week, but we're going to start with a few talking points, Murray. Um, The first one, kind of fresh off the news, Dominic Robertson-McCoy yesterday was handed a six-week ban for his stamp, his his fairly brutal stamp on Josh van der Fleer in the Interpro over the weekend. Yeah, very ugly scene, to be honest. So I think everyone is expecting more than six weeks. Um, so essentially came in at the high end on a 12-week ban, but you have 50% nowadays pretty much guaranteed to be chopped off if you're pretty sound in, in the disciplinary hearing. Um, for me, this ban is a bit of a joke. Six weeks for... A, a clear and obvious deliberate stamp onto someone's head kind of neck area especially at a time when that head injury thing is, is such a massive part of rugby and such a, a big concern uh, and, and w- with great reason so yeah for me this is just another example of the disciplinary procedure um, just getting it wrong and just being too lenient with players based on a, a good record it was a very reckless act and, and for me it should be out for, for longer than six weeks Yeah Andy presumably you saw the incident Josh Van Der was was very fortunate <coughs> to escape a serious injury Yeah it's it's uh it's really shocking, actually, that he only got six weeks to me. I think I wonder how Peter Clausey feels about it. Ninety four, I think he was. He got a, a twelve month ban. He was vilified in the press, he was like a public hate figure, and he was actually sent to Australia like a convict. Yeah. Played some Queensland uh, Reds rugby um, after about seven or eight months of the ban. So when you consider what is that? Twenty four years later, you're getting six weeks for the same offence. Uh, you would worry about the trends and the direction in which disciplinary uh, hearings are going. Yeah, yeah and that's the this is a trend. Like Simon Berg and Scotland Prop got the same ban last year for something similar. Actually, didn't even look quite as bad. He didn't make as as clear a contact on the head. Um, so it is a worry, and you're seeing like Matthew Bastro get five weeks for clearly striking someone in the back of the head on the ground, really deliberate assault on someone on the, on the ground. It's it's concerning, and I think. People who are making these decisions and the the lawmakers need to take into account that people watching the game are really horrified by this. People who haven't played rugby and haven't seen that dirty side of the game that it used to be back in the day. Um, so yeah, I think they need to really sharpen up those um, those sentences. Yeah, Joe Marler has been in the headlines kind of the last week or so. Obviously, he announced his surprise international retirement at the age of 28. And he did a very honest interview with the rugby pod during the week, um, basically saying that... He explained how he would seek a way out of England camps. Um, what did you kind of make of it? And, and Darren Cave has been tweeting it and the debate has kind of raged in the last few days over it. Yeah, like I thought Marla's comments, first of all, were really fascinating. It was a real honest insight. Um, I don't think he was saying he was deliberately going out to injure guys. I think he was kind of trying to sum up a sense of 
he had this anxiety about going away to England camp based on his missing his family um, and maybe kind of subconsciously he was doing these kind of crazy acts on the pitch which certainly aren't excusable to, to get out of that situation uh, I think that's someone being honest and, and I, I think Darren Cave he, he tweeted about he said I'll actually read out the tweet he said media complain about players being boring and spoon fed messages from press officers to regurgitate at press conferences and then a player opens up and he gives a fascinating insight into how they actually felt and they get hammered I think that's actually quite fair from Darren I guess as an ex-player Andy how did you take it in would you be agreeing with Darren Cave in that instance 100% yeah I think it's it's unfortunate that is the media at its worst um, you know there are, there are headlines that suggest quite the opposite of what Joe Marler's sentiments were um, he he, I suppose showed some some vulnerability and was very honest and it was raw and he he talked about things like you know when your head's not in the right place you might self-sabotage he wasn't doing it consciously it was as he said it was quite a fascinating insight and to belittle it in a way down to you know I sought out red cards to avoid English camp is yeah it's unfortunate yeah so it's again it's a, a bad trend maybe in certain sections of the media I think we try, we try and do our best not to go that way but it's just an easy headline it makes it far more extreme than what it was and there's subtleties to it um, and I guess like it was interesting that it comes from a podcast and it, then you chop out one section of that quote mm. and it sounds very different and it reads very different to what it was not that we're excusing <clears> Joe Marler smacking people uh, and getting red cards and yellow cards but but it was I suppose disappointing that a, a player was honest um, and has had to come out and say, "Listen, this isn't what I meant." And now other players who maybe would have clarified for the the RFU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The RFU hunt him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Probably not having heard the interview <clears throat> themselves. Yeah. So I think other players will be maybe a bit more hesitant about being honest. Yeah, well, absolutely, and it's gonna it's gonna make everything more homogenized and insipid from every single player. Why would you, uh, you know, give give a soundbite as such? I mean. I worked in recent years as a physiotherapist, well, I'm a physiotherapist, but I worked in professional cricket and there were huge issues around stress and mental health issues for their players. They were away 270 to 280 days per year on average, away from their families touring and now they are longer tours in cricket um, and they they had a lot of issues around that and had to address it. And I think Marder was really was, was echoing that type of mental stress of being away when he had a young family, suddenly he was going away to, to Penny Hill and, and these places are five star prisons for six weeks. You know, you're you're up training three, four days a week, high, high intensity, homework, video analysis, media pressure, all that stuff. And he's got two very young kids at home, you know, so it's it is understandable for him to to talk about that difficulty he faced. But yeah. Yeah. Our final kind of headline that grabbed our attention this week, Murray, was Seve Reese, whose Connacht have just announced that he won't be joining the province now in November after his recent court appearance. Obviously, disappointing news from their point of view, but probably the right decision. Yeah, you'd have to say it was the right decision. Um, that's a lot of baggage coming over. The the court case was kind of reportedly around domestic violence. Um, and while he wasn't convicted, there was kind of guilty plea there, um, what I read in the New Zealand Herald. So, yeah, I think after what Irish rugby has been through in the last year or so um, I think the RFU would have been extremely hesitant to to go there and, and bring in that baggage for me it's a smart decision yeah they're losing a, a good player he's in unbelievable form in the Mitre 10 Cup I think six tries in eight games uh, really lighting it up and, and pretty hard to tackle um, so players or the fans rather will lose an exciting player there but I think for me, in terms of business, which I suppose rugby is at the end of the day, it's a smart decision. <clears throat> Murray touched on the kind of the rugby point of view there, Andy, but 
Connacht seem to be in good health in the back line. I mean, the start they've made, you know, they've got plenty of options there. So maybe it's not a, a big of a blow as maybe at the start of the season or when they announced the signing back in May. Yeah, I, I always think, and it's probably unfair to the wing three quarters of the game, but if you're going to call them the icing on the cake um, a bit more often, um, they're not going to like it. But I think in reality, if you've got a guy who's who they're looking to sign who will centrally change what they're doing it's probably a, a bigger loss to them they're looking at uh, systems changes they're looking at the entire direction the strategy and the the tactics that they employ um, when they get a lot of that stuff right they maybe won't find finishers as lethal as this guy but they'll find guys who are close and they certainly aren't without them with Adi Loken and Matt Healy and, and various players who, could, who have wheels and can finish so um, hopefully it's not too big uh, leaves leaves too big a hole in their squad. Welcome back to Heineken Rugby Weekly with the Forty Two. Remember, if you want to get more from the game, join Heineken Rugby Club, whose members enjoy exclusive rewards like match tickets and more. Visit HeinekenRugbyClub.com. Over 18s only. Enjoy Heineken responsibly. Visit DrinkAware.ie. Now, Murray, we're going to get into the teeth of our first kind of big question of the week. And I suppose it's a big few weeks. I think this season has kind of been ramped up a couple of notches each week as it's gone on. Um, started the Interpros last week, Munster against Leinster on Saturday, leading into the European um, competitions. Conor Murray is still obviously out for Munster. Albie Matthewson came in for his debut last week, was very impressive by all accounts against Ulster. Um the question we kind of want to ask is, can Munster survive these big weeks without Conor Murray and a player of his stature who has such a controlling effect and an influence on that team? Yeah, well, I suppose the first place you look is his direct replacement. Albie Matthewson was brought in for these big games. Um, Conor Murray ruled out indefinitely, I suppose, still at the moment. We don't have clarity on that, but it looks like he's going to miss these next couple of weeks um, and maybe a little bit longer. So I think this decision to sign Matthewson was actually criticised quite a bit I saw a lot of fans kind of frustrated by it saying Munster have nines but for me um, looking at it from Van Graan's point of view he had to get someone in there with experience um, with consistent quality across his passing his kicking having played in big games like this because the other guys Duncan Williams James Hart even Neil Cronin and two of them are injured mm. now hadn't really played in those games Matthewson, he Matthewson has played for the All Blacks five times. He's played Super Rugby. He's played Champions Cup with Toulon last season. Um, so he's got proven quality. And I think we saw that having not played since May, he actually was really impressive against Ulster. His passing was real crisp. I think the Opta stats were like he had 54 passes and only one of them was negative, slightly off target. Uh, so we saw real quality there. We saw his energy as well. A uh, really kind of aggressive mindset. There was one moment early on, he passes off a scrum, uh, kind of continues his line-up field and he bumps John Cooney with his shoulder off the ball. Just a kind of dominant act. Uh, one of the kicks then ricochets off Scannell and he's first on it. He nudges ahead, gets to the ball with Peter Omani and affects a turnover. Not really scrub, uh, excuse me, scrum half kind of traits, but mm. he brought that all day. His kick chase is brilliant. That NFL throw was just <laughs> incredible as well. I think you were saying he's a big NFL fan. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and it was a real, real cool moment, but also mm. uh, just showed his energy to, uh, and desire to get tempo into the game. I thought his box kicking probably was a little bit off where Conor Murray mm. is, certainly. But for me, it just showed why they've signed this guy. And if he can build that partnership with with Joey Carberry, it's going to leave him in a good place to survive without Conor Murray. Like, what did you make, Andy, of, of how the two of them linked up? Yeah, I thought um, Matthewson's energy levels were what stood out as opposed to, you know, 
zeroing in on a particular skill set, um, it is it's tricky to match Conor Murray in terms of box kicking quality. Not many people in the world will do that. Um, I might argue with you saying that, you know they're not typically scrum half traits to be annoying and niggly and uh, <laughs> I, I, I beg to differ I think most scrum halves I've ever met are annoying and niggly and punchy <laughs> and energetic and mouthy um, he's um, I, ultimately I think it's it's a good pragmatic decision by Van Gran given that um, okay they've shipped 40 points one week ago that you know quite an erratic start to the year and I think what he probably needs is an element of trust in his decision makers they do have young alternatives James Hart has had a um, reasonably successful period over in Racing Club a very high success rate in terms of his goal kicking but he's picked up an injury um, obviously Murray is injured and then and Cronin is there I think Duncan Williams is he's the only other fish yeah. Yeah. option. Um, he hasn't quite pushed through for them on it, and he's been around the squad. But in terms of establishing trust, I would say among their lead players and their management on a big European night, um, I understand them being pragmatic. It's not for the betterment of longer term monster rugby and development, but you'll find nobody cares if they win. And if they lost with younger players uh, heavily in a European game, there's it puts the uh, puts a lot of squeeze and pressure on them. So I think it's pragmatic, smart, smart decision making. And given the period that's ahead in the next three to four weeks with Murray injured, yeah, and, and Carberry's massive, massive part of it. You know, Munster in the last couple of years were probably too heavily dependent on decision making at nine. Uh, well, that makes sense when Conor Murray's the guy making those decisions, when to kick, when to to pass, when to snipe around the side. You always wanted them to push into having a more of a sense of um, kind of dual ownership in that halfback pairing. Absolutely. And, and Carberry's growing into it. I mean, know these these games against uh, Leinster, if he's going to play, we still don't know, against Exeter and Gloucester in Europe, they're going to be the real mm. test for him. But I, I've seen growth in just little things like his play calling. I think there was one example against Ulster in the first half. They had a scrum just outside the 22. It's kind of tricky area because you don't want to pass back into the 22 and, and risk that, uh, losing that line out. But... He just uh, threw a skip pass to Goggin, shipped on to Andrew Conway. Kernahan kind of is drawn up the left wing for Ulster and Conway puts the ball deep in behind Nelson who, who has to turn and kick back to touch. And now they have a line out just inside the, the Ulster 10 metre line. I thought it was a clever and simple uh, play call. And I think he's getting better at those things. There's still bits iron out. Like, you know, he's still looking for that cross kick maybe a bit much kicking mm-hmm. when there's no one there. But he's also delivering some beautiful cross kicks and and he's really prompting guys onto the ball with his passing game. I think he's linking well with Scanlon in the midfield there. So I think it's still early days from as a 10, Andy, but we're seeing growth already, aren't we? Absolutely. And, and I, I think it's without question he has raw materials to beat the band. He's... I actually didn't realise how fast he is over a long period until I saw him finish that try uh, on... on Sat was a Friday or Saturday, sorry, against Ulster. Yeah. Um, but a key thing is that he, he wants the ball. He's going looking for it actively. He wants to be in that role where he's making calls. He will get some of them wrong, no doubt. Um, but he, I don't think it's going to perturb him. He's going to go back in there and look for it again. He's hungry and he's a guy who wants to be on the ball. It's probably one of the key traits as a 10. And in terms of how he links, hopefully in the future with Murray and right now with Matthewson going into these three games... One of the key aspects of what that will deliver for Munster is they'll, they'll dilute responsibility. I think if if Joey was starting with Conor Murray right now, they'd probably have a bit of a status quo and Conor would be making a lot of those decisions. Joey has to take responsibility, which I think he's happy to do. 
Um, um, he may not and most likely won't get everything right. Who does? But he's... Um, I'm very excited, actually, you know, about the next three weeks for him and for Munster. And I'm curious to see what style they will actually try and, and take into the games. I think will they try and evolve or will they allow themselves to evolve in the heat of battle right now? Or will they maybe revert to a more traditional style? Yeah, yeah. and I don't think they should be afraid of that either at, at times. Like the pack's been a little bit un- inconsistent maybe so far this season. But you saw against Ulster again, albeit against a weaker pack. Like when they go direct and when they go with that mall and when guys like O'Mahony and Byrne, when Clute's back in there, Tommy O'Donnell adding real energy as well. When those guys really fire, their pack is really fearsome unit. Um, and I think they have a lot of responsibility as well with Conor Murray missing. I think it. I think everyone takes a little bit more responsibility with him missing, the key guy, the one who takes a lot of things on his shoulders. So I think they can make life easier for, for Matthewson and Carberry as they did against Ulster, you know. You talk about an armchair right for a 10, but Matthewson had a lovely clean ball to pass away uh, consistently and, and getting turnovers and allowing them to counterattack as well. So I guess to answer the question, I think they're going to be okay for the next three weeks. Obviously, they'll be a stronger team with Conor Murray there, especially in that away game against mm. Exeter at home to Gloucester. Um, but I think there's signs so far that they can kind of evolve and develop over the next uh, three weeks. And, and so far, I think it's been promising. And Matthewson, I think, was a really good buy, a, a short-term solution to to a big problem. So I think they're going to be okay. Yeah, Van Grand described him as a, as a world-class player to bring in. Just finally on this point, I suppose, there's been a lot of talk about the selection for this weekend's game at the Viva Stadium. If, you, if you're Johan van Graan looking ahead to those Heineken Champions Cup games, as we mentioned, do you go with that halfback pairing again of Matthewson and Murray to give them another, whatever, 50, 60 minutes just to to sharpen those combinations before that real test at, at Sandy Park? Yeah, I think ideally you would because they've only had 50 minutes yeah. together. Uh, I think Carberry looks like he's really enjoying playing a lot of games back to back to back and, and getting better with each one. I guess you'd know better than anyone, Andy, though, what it's mm. like to gel with a new nine and, and try and bring that partnership together. You, I'd, I'd give them 80 minutes. I don't see why yeah. they have to come off with yeah. 20 to go. Um, I, I'd be shocked if they're not already shoe-ins for their starting nine and ten come Europe. Um, and, you know, physicality and injuries withstanding that they get through the game fine. I don't see any reason unless they're having a shock yeah. um, and they want to, you know, it's affecting the actual outcome on Saturday night. If things are going reasonably well, they got to get 80 minutes together. Ollie Campbell, the ex-Irish legend, uh, famously advised for halfbacks, nines and tens, you cannot hit any form unless you get three 80-minute periods in a row. And I always thought about that as an interesting um, idea really behind playing 9 and 10 just to get into that comfort of making calls, combinations confidence, all those things um, 380 minutes in a row is, and, and I, I, as a rule of thumb I didn't get many chances <laughs> to get 380 minutes in a row, maybe that's why uh, I can argue about my form historically but uh, I do think it would be important, I'd like to see both of them get 80, not this kind of 65 lark yeah, be fascinating to see Johan van Graan obviously names his, his team for Leinster at 12 o'clock on Friday. You're listening to Heineken Rugby Weekly with the 42. Remember, if you want to get more from the game, join Heineken Rugby Club, whose members enjoy exclusive rewards like match tickets and more. Visit heinekenrugby.com. 
Over 18s only. Enjoy Heineken responsibly. Visit drinkaware.ie. Murray, we briefly touched on, on Connacht earlier in the show. Um, obviously went down to that defeat to, to a very strong Leinster side in Galway last weekend. Andy Friend post-match, who has been very good with the media. We, we talked about honesty in the, in the media at the top of the show, but he's, he's very good with media. Um, he kind of said that now his team knows the yardstick of what makes a champion side. What did you kind of make of, of Connick's performance maybe and maybe their start under under Andy Friend? They've really impressed me. I thought they played really well in that game. Uh, I don't think the scoreline really told the story of it. I thought their defence was absolutely superb. Um, there was just a little bit of magic from Gary Ringrose in his one. Clever little kind of bit of play from Tyke Furlong as well, just kind of pointing the way, opening the gate a bit, getting that bit of separation between, I think it was Quinn Roo and Delan, then Sean O'Brien on the outside. If you look back, he's just kind of uh, waving his right hand. Um, and obviously a mall try as well that they'll be disappointed with. But apart from that, I thought they were excellent defensively. I think they have been all, all, um, all season so far. Two wins from five isn't the greatest record, but there's been loads of impressive elements to that. Um, but there are there are kind of glaring kind of issues for them, I think. Um, and the discipline is a massive one so far. Like, look at their penalty count. It's 12, 9, 17, 9 and 15. And the, those two games where they were under 10, they won both those games. Um, and it's not the only reason you win or lose a game, but if you're giving up 12, 17, 15 penalties against teams like Glasgow and Leinster, you know, you're asking for for a being there because you're giving them really good field position. So I think that's a massive thing for them to fix. Their their average penalty count is the second highest in the in the league behind mm-hmm. the Kings, who are always under the pump. Uh, and that kind of magic count, like Joe Schmidt looks at getting under under ten, under eight mm-hmm. at times if he can, uh, and you're going to be in good positions on the pitch to win. Like obviously, opposition pressure causes those penalties, but there are very ab- avoidable ones. I think just before the mall try, it was contact in the air at, at line out time from Sean O'Brien. An avoidable one, just maybe a bit of naivety in the air and and learning from from those moments under pressure in big games is a is a really key thing for them. I thought also that just when they were you know the, the, those long passages of defence that Leinster put together were really impressive we'll, we'll talk a bit more about them later 21 phases 19 phases 20 phases it, it's laudable that Connacht are trying to keep the ball in hand and build pressure and use their skills and, and back themselves to break a defence down but when there's 14 men in the front line at times like where's the space where's your decision making and Leinster do really well in the backfield they cover it really well so you only get a glimpse of a window to kick into it but there was a time there was one moment in the 11th minute where Carty did that he had a kind of long kind of diagonal kick to the left it bounced into touch rolled in about 5-10 metres out from the Leinster try line suddenly now you're applying real pressure to their line out uh, in a place they don't want to be on the pitch so I think they're probably can be a bit more of that kind of decision making mm. ability in those long passages like their tempo is excellent and there's so many things to like about their attack but I guess Andy you've been in that in that position of trying to get through a, a, a front line that has mm. that many bodies stacked in it there's always going to be a bit of space <clears throat> in behind Yeah I think Carty is um, has huge potential and I think he's actually he's got quite a bit of imagination I saw him play a game last year where he he did two chip kicks in a row. He yeah. caught one off his left. He, uh, as the fullback came up, he chipped one off his right and caught it again. It was the, uh, it was a Pro 14 game then in the sports ground. So he's not without creativity and he can innovate. Um, what that hallmark of of champion sides, which is so difficult to achieve for many teams, and Andy Friend alluded to it when he saw. Okay, we've seen what champions look like. When when we think of of Leinster and we think of 
uh, O'Gara and O'Connell and Mick Galway and Anthony Foley's monster sides. Um, I think one of the key characteristics is is a relentlessness um, when you find a weak point. And I think sometimes we, we embrace a variation in your game. Sometimes a kick like Carty put in that 11th minute worked. And, you know, a more experienced, maybe tougher around the edges type senior player will just repeat that and repeat it and repeat it again and again. You know, I, I remember Carlos Spencer was not renowned for being a tactical genius, but I played a game in Bath, for Bath against him for Northampton where he, he launched a, a bomb on a Tongan winger we had called Celesi for now. It was raining, Celesi for now dropped the ball, it was three minutes into the game and he spent the next 60 minutes of the match bad, verbally, you know, badgering him, telling him he was going to put the ball in the air for the, at the next scrum, doing it and for now would drop it. <laughs> and I think that relentlessness, that toughness when you've got your foot on their throat is don't take, why take it off? Why vary your game? Just keep joking them. So um, I think that's something Connor could introduce because they were, they were not really making the headway they would have liked 21 phases that that actually really invigorates Leinster then when when a turnover happens so you know they got it they got a bit of mileage out of that kick from Carty and I think they should have stuck with it it can look a bit negative at times but it works yeah I think they're really cognizant like I like the language of that that they've got a yardstick he calls them a developing team and you don't want to give yourself excuses for losing but I don't think they're looking at it that way I think they're looking at Leinster as we want to be that team as soon as we possibly can, and we're not far off that level. They weren't. They weren't far off in this game. I, I mean, yeah, they needed a, that little moment that ring roast provided, possibly. Um, but they do have those creative players, and that'll come in a different game. I think there was so much in that performance that would have beaten another side, um, that would have created an opportunity, and just that moment where someone breaks through or a defender slips off a tackle. Like Leinster's defense is obviously incredible, um, but I don't. I really don't think they're far off. I think the turnaround has been really quick. And I just, I really like that language around the team. I like their mindset now. I think the positivity um, and the work rate that he's getting out of the players just underlines clearly how how together they are again, how happy a camp it is. And I'm excited about the direction they're moving in, but they're still a little bit off. Yeah, like you, you mentioned their naivety at the top of, of this section. And how how far, how long does that take to develop in terms of decision making I think the perfect example was the opening game of the season against Glasgow where they were as Andy said they kind of had the foot in the throat they had the game won with 10-15 minutes to go and they they you know squandered that lead how how long does that take to develop that can that be developed in the short term because you say they're not far off you know they certainly got the players they got the mindset the appetite the work rate but and the skill set but how, how how can you develop that I think it's probably down to how many times you've been in that situation and Already this season, they've been in very tight games against Glasgow, again, was one that got away from Mm. them. And I think it's probably how you learn from it. I think that was one of the issues last season. The players actually felt they were getting in these situations, maybe not exactly similar situations, but they weren't reviewing it probably um, honestly enough or in enough Mm. detail to actually to get better at it. Um, So I think... I think these things can happen quite quickly and you saw on their run when they won the Pro 12 as it was mm. under Pat Lamb how quickly you can learn and w- when you get a bit of momentum behind you um, that these things can happen quickly like if they go up to Ulster and win there for the first time since 1960 and Carty manages the game really well um, and he has players around him pointing out that little space in behind to, to kick into like his confidence can just soar and the team can, can feed off that I think y- you've me- you've mentioned it already the, the penalty count, like they have a objective data, they've measurables on this. In terms of 
become, you know, going from where they are with like very, very strong building blocks, a happy camp, which is sometimes thrown around, but that is not to be underestimated in professional sport. A coach who seems to have the backing of all his players and his own, you know, his employers, uh, uh, Willie Ruan and CEO are, are delighted uh, by the appointment. They actually are going so well in the right direction when they take emotion away from it and just look back at like 17 penalties, 15 penalties, the the, the amount of pressure that's relieved on opposition teams because of those, uh, that lack of discipline Connacht are showing. Um, you know, you think of 15, 16 phases in the opposition 22, they're absolutely shattered physically. You give a penalty away, they kick 40 metres, they win their own line out, they might maul, they'll sap the energy of your forwards and suddenly you've made 15 tackles yourselves way further down the field instead of converting that into a penalty a three point come away from something in in the opposition 22 I, I think it's very I think they need to be very clear scientific about this Joe Schmidt's teams are, are it's probably his greatest strength and it's similarly one of his least celebrated that as a coach his teams are incredibly disciplined um, how he gets inside a referee's head how he analyses referees the following week is well known I think they need to be really cold and clinical and say, okay, we've got so many of these things right. 17 penalties in a game, they, they've like they've got to be half in that, you know? And uh, I think that they will take a big, big step by doing that. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to actually do because are they, you know, the likes of their back rowers, are they suddenly being slightly less competitive than they were? And do you take that away from them? I don't know. They, they're going to have to have a bit of trial and error on that, but the numbers have to go down. Yeah, Connacht up to uh, Belfast, of course, on Friday night for that Interpro. They haven't won um, there in um, 58 years, so it's a, it's a bit of a tough task. We'll move on to Leinster now. Um, before we kind of get into the nitty-gritty of their win um, in Galway and kind of looking ahead to, to their few weeks, Murray, you sat down with Rob Carney during the week. Yeah, caught up with him. He was over in Good Body in, in Ballsbridge. They just announced a partnership with Rugby Players Ireland, which Rob has been involved in integrally, chairman of the executive board now. Um, so they're giving bursaries to 12 players to help with their off-field careers, which is a really positive thing. Uh, so Rob, really welcome that. But it was just interesting to catch up with him. Before we before he started into a season, he'd mentioned he was clocking his fastest speed times in six years. Uh, which was a great little brag to get in before the season started. But I, I just started by asking him if that's translated into his on-field form. Probably not fully yet. Um, you know, so it was, you know, those speed times were were done during speed sessions. So you're just on an Astra field running dead straight as quick as you can. Um, I haven't managed to, to clock a super quick one in a game just yet. You know, there's a lot of games that you just don't get the opportunity to do it. But I suppose the it's a work in progress a little bit. You know, when the opportunity does come to open up, uh, you know, hopefully it'll be there for me. How quick is your quickest? Uh, quickest, well, since since is having a little bit of an argument at the moment with. Uh, <laughs> With Peter Tierney, who do, who does all our all our uh, our GPS and stuff, uh, I thought I ran a ten point one there a few weeks ago, and he showed me all the detail. When it came back, is a little spike, so a few of the lads are calling me Spike at the moment. <laughs> um, but the nine point seven um, meters per second is the quickest. Of, that I've clocked in five years. That's good so. going. That's good going. Like it was, it was very honest to you when we spoke about uh, the fear of injury you went through and and kind of 
coming off the back of Michael Owen talking about a similar thing. And like that's always struck me about you is how honest you are when you're speaking to us in the media, which is maybe a bit different to some other guys. Why do you think you've always, or recently more so, found that kind of easy to do? I don't know. I suppose I don't do a huge amount of media. Um, and I think sometimes it's, it's quite easy to to read through people who, who aren't been overly honest. And I think the reader appreciates honesty when, you know, I'm a massive sports lover and when I read interviews with other, other sports people, I think, you know, you, you appreciate when they are honest. And there's, uh, you know, there's there's something that I think that, that you just like. There's, a, there's an air of, you know, makes them a little bit more amicable, but maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I can understand that. I'll, I'll do the book for you <laughs> when you're ready. But, uh, but I, can, I mean, it was, it was fascinating insight and something that you don't hear a lot of a lot of players say. Like you mentioned now that you're loving rugby again and obviously winning that helps a lot with that. Like how bad did it get? When you said two years ago, you probably fell out of love with the game. How, how bad did it get? How were you f- thinking about matches and training at that time? Yeah, I think the, the toughest part was was the Monday to Friday, the, the training. So... I wasn't training, so I was working away hard in the gym. Um, but when we got out in the field, I wasn't training particularly hard because I was afraid of getting hurt. So I was saving myself for the Saturday. Um, and you know, people will know if you're not if you're not putting a good block of training during the week, it's very difficult to turn up on the weekend and play well. Um, you know, so I was almost trying to keep my powder dry Monday to Friday, just waiting for the weekend to come round. Um, and that was a real, you know, dangerous spot to be in. Yeah, how different is it now? Um, now it's it's completely different. I'm going a hundred percent on training. Um, you know, if I play at the weekend, chances are I won't play on a Monday. Uh, or sorry, train on a Monday. Uh, and then you you go you go pretty hard Tuesday, Thursday, and then captains are on Friday. Um, so my, my ability to be able to commit to training on the field has has heightened massively, which then in turn makes you a more robust player, uh, which means that you know you're able to to put a lot more miles on the clock, I suppose. Yeah, like when you're going through that tough time, I suppose every player, coach, gets criticised at times. It's part and parcel of it. But when you're going through that phase, are you firstly aware of getting criticised at times, or does it affect you as a person? Yeah, I think. Firstly, you are aware of it. You have a sense of it. And, you know, when rugby is up and running in this country, you know, it, it, it's it's a lot of what people talk about. Um, you know, so it's, it's hard to avoid. And, of course, it affects you. You know, it's only human nature that, you know, we don't like to be spoken about in a bad light. Um, you know, so... Of course, a huge amount of mental challenges come with that. Uh, and I suppose you always just have to come back to, you know, believing in your own ability. And if you do believe in your own ability to keep going, uh, you know, your time and your opportunities will come to to make amends for it. Yeah, you've been able to do that in the last, in the last year. I guess the role of fullback, people probably don't appreciate a lot of the work that goes on back there. I think that's part and parcel of it. A lot of, criti- a lot of criticism towards that kind of like Lee Happy, Mike Brown. Like, how much of your job is off the ball that we don't probably see? Uh, 
Yeah, good question. I, I don't really know. Would it be? Would it be up around sixty, seventy percent? Um, I suppose that is probably one of the the frustrating things that you know when people think of a fullback, immediately first thing that comes to the head is you know really exciting counterattacking. Yeah, take a ball back and beat the whole team and score on the field. <laughs> and listen, I, I appreciate that. I understand that. That's probably the most exciting part of watching fullbacks play. Um, I understand that it's at this moment, you know, it's not the strongest part of my game is, is you know, taking ball backs and stepping five or six lads and accelerating through one of the posts. Um, you know, so there's a huge amount, as you well know, there's a huge amount more to fullback play than than just that. Yeah, well, tell me about the demands. Like, you guys are playing that 13 and 2 now, uh, oftentimes, and, and there's so much ground to cover. Like, when you're when you're in the middle of that, what are the kind of things that you need to hit on your checklist? Um, yeah, 13-2 out of the field. If if we're under pressure or if we get into our 22 a little bit, you might move, move back to a 14-1. You're covering a huge amount of distance. So... You know, you'd expect your fifteen to be highest on the on the on the meters gained every single week. What would you be looking at in that? Um, well, you're looking at maybe seven seven and a half k of running, but then your high speed running would be up maybe at around a thousand meters. So it's your high speed running that is the one that tires you out. You know, you can jog back and forth across the field, but it's it's when you have to move a little bit quicker. So, you know, because of that, over the last couple of years, I've probably have to shave off maybe three or four kilos of my body weight you know so I'm lighter now than than I have been in a long long time um, you know so the real focus for me now is to make sure that my strength doesn't decrease um, with my body weight well it's interesting and you mentioned during the Six Nations this year it was really interesting you were talking about Dan Bigger and you said every out half his cues he has a couple more maybe than other guys we won't go into him obviously specifically but what are the kind of cues on a 10 because that's obviously a big trigger for you in terms of where I'm going to cover what are the cues that guys generally have? Um, I suppose you're you're looking at, at three things. You're looking at their shoulders, where the shoulders are pointed. If your shoulders pointed, you can't kick the other direction. You're looking at their eyes. You know, every ten looks before he goes to kick somewhere. So if I see you look to a corner, you know, nine times out of ten you're going to kick the ball to that corner, and you're looking at the their depth away from the game line. So the deeper they are, the chances. Um, the more chances are that they're going to kick if they flatten up um, well then you have to flatten up with them because the chip is more successful then than, than maybe leaving one of your corners open okay. um, we won't go too much into that Mario. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to give my secrets away what, to the what I have left of them <laughs> yeah. the area game is obviously something that you've always been successful at and have managed to maintain across I imagine quite a few changes like how much for 15 has that part of the game changed in the last five years even more recently with the amount of focus on the, the law now yeah um, it's it's getting a little bit tougher because I think other players and other teams are starting to realise just how important it is and other other teams and players are getting very good at it um, you know and it's, it's not as much around this time of the year but as you move to internationals and you move towards finals rugby it becomes even more of a 
of a component of the, of the game um, because teams don't want to have the ball too much more. They want to get out of their own grey zone um, and they want to kick for territory. And if you can kick the ball 25 metres and regather it back, um, you know, a lot of time aerial stuff is a big momentum shifter in games. Um, you know, so that's probably something that, that Joe has always... You know, from his very first couple of years in, in Leinster, it's been a, a huge, huge cornerstone of, of his games. And, you know, while you might think it's just a bit of kicking and catching, it does manifest itself into into bigger moments of games. Yeah, and those kind of little details are probably an area I'd see you thriving. Like even, like your work on the ground after you get tackled. I know there's probably one against Connacht. One at the weekend, yeah. yeah. Which was frustrating, but I mean... Have you put in a lot of emphasis in, in your game on those little things that maybe make a massive difference that we don't appreciate? Often? Yeah, well, I just, I suppose it's important to understand what coaches want from you. Um, you know, and I suppose Joe is the coach that I've worked with the most over over the years, and ball retention is a huge part of the game. And when you take the ball into contact. You know, it's up to you to get it back as quickly as possible and as clean as possible for the number nine. Um, you know, so your fight in the ground is it's a pretty important component of the game. Yeah, everyone else is kind of following suit. You, you mentioned the attacking side of things, again, p- pretty honest, like, and maybe a little bit modest because, you know, against England last year, I think you beat nine defenders. Even you've had nine or eight passes in, in both games this season so far. Have you put a lot of... Um, I don't know is it video work is it stuff on the training ground to, to try and improve that yeah training ground definitely uh, distribution is something that this season that, that I want to um, to improve on um, you know the, the game is played with a lot more width now um, and you're playing out of the back of shapes more uh, there's more for reliance on, on having more ball players than just the 10 um, if you want to play expansively and play play with the width, um, you know, so there is there is a responsibility on on all your backs now to be able to distribute well, um, and I suppose that's something at the start of my career that wasn't necessarily too high up on my agenda. You didn't, as a fifteen, you didn't have to to distribute a huge amount, um, you know. And then a few years ago, I suppose Stewart came in and it was a a big area for for him that as 15 had to be able to distribute which is you know why he saw Joey as, as a very good um, fullback at suited the, the type of game that he wanted to do so um, you know that's probably initially where the, where the pressure came on to to improve my distribution skills yeah you speak about the game so kind of fluently have you ever thought about coaching after is that among your many options uh, no I haven't I suppose it's only in the last maybe three or four years where I always enjoyed rugby and enjoyed watching it, but it's only recently where I actually enjoy looking at the intricacies of it and studying it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, you know, I've gotten a sports code on my on my laptop there a few years ago and will enjoy taking games home and, and analysing them, but 
you know, I don't think coaching is something that's on the horizon for me. Okay, just rugby nerdery. You've gone into it. Yeah, new Johnny Sexton. <laughs> no, different. He has this ability just to watch thing once, um, and can understand all the different moving parts. Yeah. Whereas I'd have to go back and watch them a few times before I could figure everything out. Yeah. He can just take a snapshot picture of it, and it's he make it's a good a, journalist or analyst. Great <laughs> <laughs> well, to see that article. Yeah, yeah. But I just, I guess, just to, to wrap it up, like. You're 32 now, but you seem to be very much in love with the game. You said, how much more do you have left to do in the game? Do you feel like there's a lot there for you still? Yeah, like my body, my body will determine where my mind is at. Um, you know, so two, three years ago, I was going through those phases of just getting injured every second week. My body was in a bad place. My mind was in a worse place. Last year, body was great. Mind was great. Um, so I suppose I've, I've learned that, you know, when when the body is good, when is, when I'm fit, when I'm robust, I'm playing week in, week out, playing for good teams, winning, you know, what's what's not to love about it? Um, you know, so, you know, touch wood, if this year goes as good as last year did, um, I'd see no reason why I wouldn't, wouldn't want to keep going for a few more years. Great stuff. Welcome back to Heineken Rugby Weekly with the 42. A fascinating chat there with Rob Carney. A big week again for Leinster Murray. Um, the question we want to kind of pose about Leo Cullen's side is a lot of the talk pre-season after their double winning campaign is how do they get even better? Um, not huge acquisitions in terms of player personnel coming in. Obviously, Felipe Contepomi coming in um, to replace Gervin Dempsey. So how have you kind of seen their first five weeks and, and where have you seen those slight improvements? Yeah, I think it's really interesting to watch a team after they say something like that following a season where they won the double, were the best in Europe by, by a, uh, a good margin, although in the final they ha- uh, were run close by Racing. But uh, I think defence was a massive focus for them. You know, Stuart Lancaster, first day of preseason, I think everyone's probably heard, brings them in, plays all the tries from last season and kind of sets that out uh, as a, a clear area for them to improve. You saw it against Connacht last weekend um, and the last two games against Edinburgh as well. Mm. It was really impressive defence, conceding only 10 points, I think, uh, having started the season a little bit shakily but now I think we're seeing some of the stuff they've been working on Hugh Hogan has been in there as contact skills coach having worked with them last season but now on a permanent basis I think their tackle technique is really really sharp like it's such a simple part of the game and you think at that level everyone's got really good technique but you kind of get into sloppy habits maybe over the years he's refocused on on getting that kind of step in towards contact just getting your lead foot close to the, the point of contact so you can get a good shoulder on and use your power. I think they're actually using their power really well in all areas of the pitch. I think athletically they look really good and you've seen guys like Keen Healy losing weight but actually looking even more explosive than ever. Mm. I think whatever they've been doing in the gym, I don't understand that scientific side of it quite as well as I'd like but it looks like they're making really good gains under Charlie Higgins in that department. Just in terms of their technique as well, there was a, uh, one thing that stood out against Connacht was how they um, got really good chop tackles uh, at times around the legs and then kind of pinned the ball carrier after the tackle. So they're kind of faking to roll away, moving off the ball, but also keeping hold of the, the ball carrier's legs, just buying a second for a guy to maybe barge in or jackal over the ball um, and they really disrupted Connacht with that their decision making was good though you know they've 
a lot of bodies in the line. It's either that 13 plus two in the backfield, so 13 in the front line, or at times 14 in the front line and one back there in Rob Kearney. I think they're getting really good decision-making on when guys are dropping off that edge. So we talked about Connacht maybe picking out that space. They're not actually giving those big windows for a guy to kick into. They're being really good at, at deciding when to drop off, when to be a little bit harder on the edge um, and not giving those big uh, glimpses of grass. So um, that's allowing them to make double tackles quite often as well. And you're getting those kind of slow wrestling tackles so that when they're not going into jackal, the tackle itself is actually slowing the ball down um, and allowing them to reset and get that really aggressive line speed they want. And you, you said earlier on, Andy, the, the lift they got from their defence was incredible. Johnny Sexton screaming at guys, kind of rubbing their faces in a little bit. It looked like they're actually enjoying the defence more than scoring tries. Yeah, I didn't. I actually wasn't aware um, I what you mentioned there about Lancaster uh, first day of preseason, I presume he showed a video of all the tries they conceded. All the tries they conceded, yeah. Okay. It took a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd say it was probably a good kick up the arse as well. If you sit and look at something in isolation like that and realise, okay, we're, you know, maybe we're not the finished article. I don't think there is any danger in that Leinster squad of uh, arrogance sneaking in there when you've got the likes of Sexton as your captain. Um, I th- I think he'd be pretty punchy on that, and uh, and also Leo as well. But um, yeah, I think to have a team that loves defence is it's it's actually really really enjoyable to play in. It's the Canterbury Crusaders have have that kind of model, the most successful team in Super Rugby uh, franchise history, and vast majority of their tries in in the successful seasons are from from turnovers. They're they're from suddenly you're you're playing in a in a deconstructed environment. There's no organised defence against you because you're so aggressive. In the they actually prefer not to have the ball. To have the ball against very organised defences these days is tricky to break down. It's much harder to do that than it is to defend, 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 be aggressive. And I I think their attention to detail um, that you touched on there. You know we can look at it and and be simplistic and say one guy's a good tackler and one guy's not so good a tackler when you look at the things like their hip height their their how close their legs are to the to the runner when they make the hit and it's so important that the legs are close it doesn't all come from shoulder impact but when they're actually cleanly getting a guy down onto the floor and you've got exponents like Levy van der Flyer, Sean O'Brien coming back into fitness I'm sure they're leading the way they're so technically good and the group are learning from them um, to tighten up in that area um, it, it's scary to think how formidable they could become if they actually improve defensively I, I don't see significant improvements possible in their attack because um, I, you know they, one thing I could suggest about their attack is that they had a very strange way of getting out of their own territory last year they would tend to go into midfield off a set piece scrum more line out and then Luke McGrath would box kick from midfield in the 22 diagonally towards the touch line um, they did it against Montpellier repeatedly uh, and Montpellier had I think Benjamin Fall Nadolo and Joe Tamani running back at Adam Byrne and Adam Byrne got criticised yeah. because mm-hmm. there's a there's a 130 kilo bull running at him from 55 <laughs> metres away so um, I, that was a strange approach I'm not sure why they did it I think maybe it was to reduce uh, the margin or improve the margin for error rather for the box kick potentially but it puts a lot of pressure on their exits so in attack maybe that's one of the things they could they could work on technically but um, 
that defensive stuff, yeah, it's scary. If they if they really work on that, they they could be almost impossible to beat. Yeah, I think one of the things in attack, the Lancaster again, he's the kind of influence in in this area. Um, he talked about improving their set piece attack, uh, wanting to score more first phase tries. Uh, and Contepomi's obviously Felipe Contepomi's come in and, and kind of taken charge of that area. I think we're seeing some some nice signs there. They're, they're scoring tries off first, second mm-hmm. phase. You saw it against Edinburgh with Devon Toner's lovely hands back to Luke McGrath. James Lowe scores in that same game. It was Jack Conan. He just gets on the ball, just turns out the back and, and releases Johnny Sexton with a bit of time, kind of bouncing back against the grain. They're doing that quite a bit. The Sean Cronin try against Dragons, where they hit up into that seam just in behind the line out. Um, and then they go back to the to the blind side, pick out a couple of forwards, uh, tight uh, tight forwards, um, and Sean Cronin bursts through. There's also a lovely little scrum play they've added in Contepomi, maybe where they're switching to the 12, um, and then the 12 screen straight behind the 13, back to Sexton, um, and he is left wing inside, full back outside. Just these little kind of creative things that look like a bit of fun, but are also so very effective. So I think that was a big thing for them to add in. And I've also noticed even more so this season, it's been a bit of a trend for Ireland and and Leinster, Gary Ringrose um, using his distribution a bit more. Like if you actually look at the line break assists so far this season, he's on six. So, you know, passes that put guys through for line breaks. And the only other people in that region are are outhaps. They're the only other ones who are up on six. I think Duncan Williams has seven. So that's one for the Duncan Williams haters. But uh, he's he's creating a lot of line breaks for his teammates now and, and, and stepping into first receiver. I guess, Andy, you've been in that situation where maybe all the responsibilities on the 10 shoulders. I, I think that's pr- probably a, an exciting development for their attack and maybe for Ireland as well. I think, yeah, I think it's huge. And again, it's a real sign of maturity for ring rows. It's when you're younger and you come in and you're explosive and you're carefree um, to go and seek out responsibility like he's doing. I, I mentioned Carberry earlier. As young players to go and seek out that, that role is, um, it's probably not the most natural thing for guys who want to be further out on the flank and they want to be in a bit more space and, um, you know, see a few channels in front of them that they can exploit. Closer into that rook, there there are no channels. So um, your distribution is under the spotlight. Um, my my personal favourite year of rugby they ever played was when Will Greenwood played outside me for the season and everyone said, God, you've really learned to grow and you're tactically much better. And I was not. Like, he was just taking huge pressure off me and really talking me through the game he was telling the story of the game out loud and I was listening to him and it made me look a lot better so um, <laughs> I think uh, Ring Road's coming in there is an important development I wonder has it been encouraged uh, also because um, they're a lot thinner at 10 this year Joey's gone and they've got really they've two options they've Johnny who's not going to play every game they've Ross Byrne who has been excellent mm-hmm. um, but I think also Ross is still a young player too and, and they're probably looking to dilute responsibility you want guys to step up to the plate across the back line and say someone's got to step in, step in here and, and take some pressure off a of ten shoulders and seeing Ringrose do that for Leinster again is a nice progression and, and a significant one for Ireland like you said Yeah and we're seeing it in Munster as well yeah. like from the very first game mm. Scannell and, and Carberry were linking up nicely um, they're using offset piece a lot just Scannell up they, they've used this move quite a lot in, in the last couple of years where Scannell is the first receiver goes out the back of the 13 back to the 10 just buy him a little time back from that frontline defence to, to make a decision, decision or use this kind of wider passing game. So it is a bit of a trend across the global game, really, isn't it? it That's not just one guy making the decision. I think New Zealand, the All Blacks deserve a lot of credit for it. When you look at 
the the profile of guys they've picked at ten in recent years. Obviously Barrett, um, who's electric, Richie Moonga, you've Damian McKenzie, and they don't fit the traditional bill of an out half where you've got this like everybody's, you know, underneath and there's an apex leading up to the ten who's all powerful and decides everything that you do on the field. These guys are um they're moving the point of attack. They're they're unpredictable they take it to the line themselves they ask questions of defences as a runner themselves and and it it take it seems slightly less cerebral than what we're used to for a 10 but also it makes the game more exciting and it it reduces your risk it, you know we I've people have criticised me before saying what have you got against Sexton I've nothing against him he, but that's the way he plays with Ireland and I th- do think it slightly compromises us when he's not there because the guy who steps into the breach is not able to do it as well as Johnny and it's just it's like being a victim of your own success what he's brilliant at in his natural game is being dictatorial and he's I mean, we didn't. He didn't lose a game. He started last season, not one. So you know, there's no criticism there. It's just you know, in going into a World Cup, for example, I know that's a different day's discussion, but um, if yeah. you were to get injured, you know, whereas if Bowden Barrett got injured, Richie Mwunga, Damian McKenzie, wouldn't change how they actually play as a group. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, but it is a, it's an exciting development for Leinster. I guess it'll be interesting this weekend with Sexton probably not on the pitch mm. and seeing who, who that other guy is, but yeah, it looks like they're making those little tweaks, defence attack, everything's still progressing and it's it's crazy to think how good they can be. Yeah, we asked the question of, of Connacht earlier in the show, but just briefly where Stuart Lancaster kind of touched on it earlier in the week that when Munster's kind of inconsistent form was put to him, he kind of admitted as well that Leinster, you know, they were they were very fortunate to come away with an opening day win against Cardiff um, and obviously they were beaten at Scarlets and they've had two strong home bonus point wins against Dragons at Edinburgh and then went to, to, to go away and put out that statement of intent I suppose where where do you kind of see them now because leading into the Heineken Champions Cup campaign they've obviously got Wasps kicks off on Friday night against the, at the RDS should I say and then, and then Toulouse so where do you kind of see them are they as we touched on are they making those slight improvements to bring their game to another level completely yeah I think they're in a position to compete for both those trophies again um, I think they're going to blow anyone out of the water but I think by making those small improvements um, over the next couple of months it's it's going to make them contenders again but they're going to lose players now to internationals in, in November that's a challenge who's going to be injured you, you don't quite know but I, I do like the way they're shaping up and you mentioned that Cardiff Blues game they found a way to win and mm. we're talking about Connick maybe not quite having that just yet Leinster have that in, in buckets they have great character and, and they always find a way so yeah, I think they're in a fantastic position and even with guys taken out this weekend I'd still actually back them to, to win again Yeah Andy which way do you see Saturday's game going? Um, I my heart would be to see Leinster win, and I just have a sneaky feeling um, in my head Munster are going to pick them off. Okay, yeah. Munster's record is quite poor at the Eva, yeah, but yeah. do you think they can? We we're just talking about it briefly before we came on air that it's nearly a free shot for Van Grand's side. It, I mean, it's not exactly a, how I would put it. It yeah. is a free shot, and I think that that is dangerous. I think Munster mirror the Irish psyche very well. That almost as underdogs. Where we perform, we tend to perform better. I I think we've managed to shake that off under Joe Schmidt and going to England and winning a Grand Slam in Twickenham. You know we were able to deal with the mantle of being favourites, but I I think Munster really really relish that. You know okay we're going to go up there and have a free shot, and I can see 
when we look at like Chris Clogarty, um how how strong and aggressive and dynamic Tommy O'Donnell looked. You've Tyg Byrne, you've Peter O'Mahony, you've got a yeah, chippy Albie Matthewson looking for something to prove. Why God is Joey Carvey gonna come in and try and have something to prove? And they've a lot of speed out wide, which um probably is a development in their game that they haven't had in you know, I don't think they had the amount of players with the level of footwork and agility and speed out wide for years. So they're you know, with all their strongest first fifteen available, I think they're you know, they're really, really strong, strong side. Their squad is nowhere near as good, you know, if you look at a roster of forty players compared to Leinster. But on, on a given day with a free punch at Leinster, I just have a sneaky feeling they could pip them. Yeah, and in Belfast on Friday night, Ulster rebound from from their home in Tamarine, or can you see Connacht going up there and getting a famous result? Yeah, a little like Andy, I can see in a, a way winning this one. I think okay. Connacht have been consistent. I think they have those building blocks in place. Um, and I think they'll weirdly have taken a lot out of that Leinster game and having been so competitive in it um, with a clear area of not giving away 15 penalties and we'll, we'll probably win that game. So um, I actually fancy Connacht for that one, yeah. Yeah, Andy, your prediction? Yeah, me too. I'm with Murray on that one. Okay, brilliant. Guys, thanks a million. Andy, Don and Murray Kinsler, thanks for joining us on Heineken Rugby Weekly with the 42. Remember, if you want to get more from the game, join Heineken Rugby Club, whose members enjoy exclusive awards like match tickets and more. Visit heinekenrugbyclub.com. Until next week, enjoy the rugby and take it easy. Send us your questions at heinekenrugbyweekly at the42.ie. Over 18s only. Enjoy Heineken responsibly. Visit drinkaware.ie.